either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Welcome to the holiday season. We definitely have some holiday films to talk about and lots more as well. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. And let's start out with one in the theaters this weekend. The prehistoric family, the Crudes, are challenged by a rival family, the Bettermans, who claim to be better and more evolved. It's the Crudes, a new age. I thought cave people died off years ago. We. Happy meet you. Thanks. Oh. You're not allowed outside the wall? Nope. This farm is like your cave. You're just like me. You took Dawn for a joyride. The Bettermans built the wall for a reason. <gasps> That's not good. The only way to survive is if the pack stays together. In such a dangerous world, I worry about my family too. What's that? Kill circle. Ha! Today is a good day to die! Hey, everyone, you'll never guess what I found out! Sorry, honey. We thought you were a predator trying to kill us. No, never apologize for an effective kill circle. It's been seven years since the last Crudes movie. And I th- the thing is, even though the, the vocal talent was massive, I guess I didn't realize it was a popular enough movie to merit a sequel. I didn't I didn't either. I had no idea it had been that long, but I think like a lot of people, I had just forgotten about the Crudes. Yeah. And then here they're back. And the cool thing is they add some good vocal talent to go with the vocal talent they already had, and they add a new, sort of a new approach uh, with some new writers. And I think they get... A sequel that's better than the original. Right. I really do. This is this is more fun, and it's uh, if you forget, which is easy to do, the <laughs> the first Crudes from seven years ago. You've got this prehistoric family uh, with voices of Nicolas Cage as dad and Catherine Keener as mom, and then you've got the daughter uh, Emma Stone, the young son Clark Duke, and then Guy, voiced by Ryan Reynolds, who they kind of just pick up uh, because he's an orphan, and so they're all still together now. Uh, as it picks up, and they are still nomadic. They're wandering, looking for the the promised land that Guy calls tomorrow that he's looking for. But now as, they, as they've grown up, um, Dad is not too happy about the hormones raging between his teenage daughter and Guy. That's so, what happens when you invite Ryan Reynolds to move in. <laughs> yeah, so right there you've got really good vocal talent that's a lot of fun. But then as their travels uh, continue, they come upon this prehistoric oasis, this wonderland um, populated by another family, the Bettermans. And that is Peter Dinklage and Leslie Mann, and then their daughter, voiced by Kelly Marie Tran. And Peter Dinklage and Leslie Mann are just great with the voices, and they are a perfect addition to this really fine uh, voice cast, because one of the main things about this movie, it reminds me how important acting is in voice acting. Right. There is acting involved. And we've talked about this before. And all these people do it, and it really elevates the material. But like I said, you've got new writers that sort of have a I think they've got a hipper uh, approach to things as they as they uh, have fun. It just becomes I can't even tell you in the time we have all the turns that this that the story takes. It takes a lot, and honestly, probably to the detriment of the film yeah, a little bit. A little bit. too many. It throws a lot of characters at you. It throws a lot of things at you in the story, and it becomes very trippy. 
almost psychedelic at times. It's just nutty. Uh, but as we get inside this this uh, oasis lived in by the Bettermans, you get a little nod to gentrification, not much, a little bit. But uh, there's also nods to uh, co- conservation and girl power. You learn about Gran. Oh, we didn't even mention Gran. Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman. <laughs> you learn about her past as a warrior uh, and f- fighting off... Uh, prehistoric uh, threats and that's what ultimately happens here the two families they kind of they kind of feud a little bit because the bettermans as the synopsis said they think they're more evolved and they kind of hatch this plan to get rid of the crudes but keep guy for themselves and keep guy for, for their, their daughter for their daughter right. because as it turns out they knew guy's parents uh, in the past so they knew him already so but anyway has a lot of different turns it is funny. I think it's funnier than, than the original. It, it looks good. It moves pretty quickly. You've got a new director on hand, too, Joel Crawford, who makes his first. He's, he's been around uh, animation for a while. This mm-hmm. is his first feature. And he keeps it moving, and it's got a nice attitude. And again, just the, the vocal talent and the vocal, a- vocal acting here is really, really top-notch, I think. And that, and that helps a lot, even though it does get weighed down a little bit by just sheer volume of characters and things to keep in mind as the as the story moves. And also you've got a couple songs thrown in by Haim and Tenacious D. So Crude's A New Age is, is worth it and it is in theaters this it weekend. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're venturing out and you have theaters open uh, and think uh, you can do it safely, this is a good one for the family. It's rated PG Crude The Crude's A New Age. We'll go to HBO Max next when an all-powerful superintelligence chooses to study average Carol Peters. The fate of the world hangs in the balance as the AI decides to enslave, save, or destroy humanity. It's up to Carol to prove that people are worth saving. It's superintelligence. Carol, I am a technological superintelligence. I can control every dollar and every machine on the planet. I know that voice. Is this James Corden? I'm not James Corden, Carol. My analysis showed that hearing James Corden's voice would calm you. What does the AI want? My intention is to solidify my theory about humanity. If things don't go well, I'll destroy the planet. Just blow it up. Did you say blow up? Like B? Like B? Like Boba? Or Burt Bacharach? Yes, BBB. Oh my God! We're all counting on you. If there's any indication that it's aware of what we're doing, click this. Might save the world. Don't click it now. I wasn't going to click it now. Okay. Why would I click it now? You just said... So it looks like a pen. People click pens nervously. Okay, are we done? This is the latest starring vehicle for Melissa McCarthy, and full disclosure, we both love Melissa McCarthy. We do. In fact, as driving here today, we were going over sort of where this one falls in her canon because we love, both of us, we really love when she gets mean. I love it. You know, we were both saying, so Megan from uh, from oh. Bridesmaids, that is, as you said in the car today, one of the greatest characters, uh, comedic characters ever so. created. Ever created. And I love. we both love Spy so much oh because my God. It, it gave her a chance to be cute, which she does very yeah, well. Yeah, she does very and well. Cute like a bolt, but also be so rude, which yeah. I love so much. And, so. and, and, and um, the heat. Uh, and the heat, you yeah. know. And I think that got a lot, but a lot of people did not like her in that, but I oh, thought she was great. Love this. So great. this one, this one falls somewhere in the middle. It's not a laugh riot. It's not. I would. It's. It's better than. I like Tammy. I thought Tammy was a, a, a really a miss. Yeah. As far as the, uh, the Melissa McCarthy films go, this one fa- falls in the middle. It's. It's funny enough. It's sweet enough. It definitely has its moments. The the interesting thing about it, though, like a lot of good comedies do, it takes advantage of peripheral characters it really to be does. funny. But this one, I think, a lot of times those peripheral characters overshadow. 
her character. Yeah, um, she's good, and and this is another one that would be good for the family. It's PG rated. It's not going to offend anybody. It's a nice story. Um, but you're right; they don't give her enough to actually do. She's yeah. funny. She's got some funny moments, but the writing itself gives more of the great lines to these peripheral characters. Yeah, and the the AI is voiced by James Corden because the AI knows that her character. Carol Peters is a big fan of James Corden, so decides to make it relatable by having James Corden do the voice. And that's funny. Actually, that's a funny bit, because every time the AI needs to calm down whoever he's talking to, he chooses the voice that is the most calming. So when he's talking to her best friend... It's Octavia Spencer. And when he's talking <laughs> yeah. to some kid who needs to lend her his phone, yeah. it's uh, Adam Levine. So it's just, it, that's a funny bit. That's a funny, it's clever in those ways. Yeah, and this was written by Steve Mallory, who's been an actor. His only other big screen writing credit is Melissa McCarthy's film The Boss, which was... Again, uh, pretty middling. Yeah. But it's directed by Ben Falcone, Melissa McCarthy's husband, who also has a small and funny role. Yeah. He's one of the uh, the, the uh, successful peripheral characters. But as you were pointing out, what happens here, is most of the time your hero, your protagonist in the movie, is the one that has an arc, is, is the character that has a change take place. Here... The change really is with the AI. Right. And that makes sense because it's, you know, the AI is studying Carol to make a decision. And so that makes sense. But usually, yeah, I mean, in, in almost any film you can think of, the character that you follow the whole time starts off in one place in their life and then at the end has been changed. But Carol's just a good dude. And so she's a good dude at the end as well. And sometimes that makes a movie feel a little bit like a waste of time. Yeah. One of the things she, she wants to do, though, in the time that she has to prove goodness to the AI is patch things up with her old boyfriend, played by Bobby Cannavale. Who we love. Yeah, he's great. And this is chances to give him a nice comedic character that doesn't feel like a, car- like a cartoon. And he has had some recent misses comedically. I'm thinking of Annie yeah. and I'm thinking Even of... Even Spy. So he was in Spy yeah. with yeah. Melissa McCarthy and he played one of the villains and it was just so broad. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it wasn't. And this is, you know, it's not a huge character and he's mainly just goofy, but the, they have a lovely chemistry and you do really root for them. And also, I gotta say, Brian Tyree yes. Henry. About two years ago, Brian Tyree Henry was in every third film and that made me so happy because I love him and he's so good no matter what kind of character he takes on. So it it was very welcome to have yeah, him in this movie, he and great. he was great. And he has some he has some great scenes with Gene Smart, who plays the president. Very funny. Again, it's on HBO Max, and it is PG this weekend. It would be good if you got the family around. And you have HBO Max. It's not a laugh riot, but, but it's, it's funny. It's funny enough, and it's sweet enough. And you know, there's been plenty of movies that have tried to give us a cautionary tale, both comedically and dramatically, about our reliance on uh, technology. And this is not the worst by a long shot. No, no. So you could do a lot worse than super intelligence. Let's move into Netflix next. A Yale law student drawn back to his hometown grapples with family history, Appalachian values, and the American dream. It's Hillbilly Elegy. I know I could have done better. But you, you got to decide. You want to be somebody or not? I've been doing real good. I just had a down month. I got an interview tomorrow, Mom. Otherwise, I... Oh, you know me. I always land on my feet. Don't look at that. Come on. Come on. Don't you look at You look at me. You look at me. You let her get away with this every time. I told you that I would do better. You always say that. You're and lying. I always try. You need 
You got a right to your own life. Don't make us your excuse, JD. Family's the only thing that means a goddamn. You'll learn it. Well, this has been making some headlines for a while because right out of the gate, it's been getting some really bad reviews, some savage reviews, uh, even though it's got two just fantastic talents at the lead here. And it does smell like Oscar bait, and it, and it smells like a mess. It smells bad. <laughs> it does smell bad. So this actually has an Ohio connection, right? It's uh, based on the memoir of J.D. Vance, who is from Middletown, Ohio. And it is his story of what he overcame in this small town with uh, a family that is not really very supportive of his dreams to become, to get as far as he did get, which is to say Yale Law. Yeah. One of the problems that the film faces is that, you know, in his being the lead... And he's played by Gabriel Basso, who you might remember when he was younger from Super 8 and The Kings of Summer. He's the least interesting character on the screen at any moment, which is problematic, obviously, especially when you you surround him with a cast like this one. Um, Haley Bennett is in it. She's great, always. But mainly, it's Glenn Close, seven-time Oscar nominee, zero-time winner, and Amy Adams, six-time Oscar nominee, zero-time winner, which is one of the reasons why the film has that smell of Oscar bait. Also, the the director is Ron Howard. The problem, there are so many problems, but right there, (laughs) the number one thing for me is that one or both of these women is probably going to either at least get nominated, likely win for not terrible performances, but a terrible film. Yeah, and sometimes these can be make goods for when they... Mm -hmm. Like, like we both thought Glenn Close should have won last year for, or was it two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. Even though we both loved Olivia Coleman. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, Glenn Close... Owned was the wife. Stupendous. And I mean, she's always so good, but in that movie, so I mean, the whole movie is a close up on the woman's yeah. face. So if this, this could be like a like a Al Pacino scent of a woman, right. where it feels like a make good. Yes. Uh, not to say that she's bad in this movie. She's not, but they feel like cliches. They feel like like characters that aren't really characters. Like you mentioned in your written review here, Amy Adams' character is not a character. It's just a series of outbursts. Exactly. She has it worse, actually. Glenn Close plays Mama, who at least does get to have some, you know, moments where she's just sort of, you know, normal, some pauses, some just conversations. And uh, she is still, she does still feel quite a bit cliched, but she, and she doesn't have an arc, but she does get to have just regular conversations. Amy Adams' character, she plays J.D. Vance's mother, Bev, and she is only on screen to have an eruption of some sort. We never get a down moment with Bev. We never get to see Amy Adams do anything other than erupt and it and it makes it so convenient it, all of them they just feel like tiny splashes of caricatures to help you see all that this man had to overcome but what they don't address is all that these women would have had to overcome but were unable to it's so patronizing in that way that i wanted to spit <laughs> It's written by, the, the the script was adapted by Vanessa Taylor, who, she wrote The Shape of Water, which is certainly a high point. But well, he, she wrote it with Guillermo del yeah, Toro. Yeah, that helps. I feel like he might have had a hand in the success now, of it. Now, we didn't read the book, but one of the other problems here is, in addition to what you mentioned, is you can't get over this, yes, patronizing is a good word, 
lesson about pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you know if you're a failure it's your own fault yeah it is it's it's the, one of the reasons the film that the film falls apart is that it tries to simultaneously say two things one which jd vance says outright right is basically don't Use the phrase, don't use the word redneck. Don't talk down or think down about these people that you would refer to as rednecks because you just bandy about that term to make yourself feel elite and superior. While at the same time, the movie is telling you the only reason people don't escape, um, you know, food stamps or jail is because they don't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. It's an, it is, it's, it's such an appalling concept that this movie is peddling. Yeah. Yeah, and it gives you some idea of how how much of a a clash of 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 styles and a clash of influences and themes that don't go well together. Even that, give him all the best intentions in the world, and I give this guy credit for his life and making him to where he's good for you. Right, that's that's awesome. Uh, but as but a to film, be so to, to be to so lack reflection in asking why is it that the only person who made it out of Middletown, Ohio, in your family was the son? I don't know. I can't see any reason why of that. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, I mean, sure, Mamaw had her first baby at thirteen, but really, Bev's problem wasn't that she became immediately addicted because of the hours that she was keeping at the hospital to try to keep her family together. She just stopped trying. Yeah. So it's uh, manipulative and sentimental. Which which unfortunately a lot of Ron Howard's films can be. Yes. Uh, and and just a mess, even though there could uh, Oscar gold could come out of it. So uh, that is Hillbilly Elegy out this week on Netflix. Next up is an Amazon original set in 1973 when Frank Bledsoe and his 18-year-old niece Beth take a road trip from Manhattan to Creekville, South Carolina for the family patriarch's funeral. They unexpectedly are joined by Frank's lover, Wally. This is Uncle Frank. I never knew why Daddy Mac was so mean to Uncle Frank. He was the kind of person I wanted to be. Smart and funny and considerate. You're going to be the person you decide to be. Or you're going to be the person everyone else tells you are. You get to choose. Can I come visit you sometime? Never known anybody who was gay before. Of course you have. Choir director of church. Mr. Jiggerson? But he's so... What? Religious. Ah. I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell anyone in the family about me. You're not going to run away from this your whole life. You need to be part of your family. I don't want to be a part of my family. So when you told me I should be what I want to be, that was just bullshit. That conversation changed my life. Now, this is a film that seems to me managed to to successfully do some of the things that I think Hillbilly Elegy hoped to do. Yeah. it. Well, first of all, it's got one of the best ensembles of the year. Mm. I mean, you've got at the top, you've got Paul Bettany, who's as good as he's, he's ever been. You've got Sophia Lillis, who is a real so up-and-comer, just, just wonderful. And then on the supporting cast... You've got Judy Greer, you've got Margot Martindale, you've got Stephen Root, Steve Zahn as the family back home. I mean, my lord, yeah. those are some of the most dependable character, character actors, actors around. Find. And so it's a, it's a great ensemble. And then the guy playing Wally, who I was not familiar with, named Peter McDissey, he is great too. And it really elevates the material here, which is not exactly trailblazing, but the cast really makes it as effective as it is. It's writer-director Alan Ball, who wrote American Beauty, 
years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, he was one of the creators of True Blood. The show, not yeah. the books, obviously. The show. Yeah, the show. So, so here it's basically, it's a coming of age for young Beth mixed with a coming out for Uncle Frank, who mm-hmm. has always felt like an out outsider in his small hick town yeah and then he moved to new york and he's teaching at nyu and uh and is living with his his partner wally but then stephen root is the family patriarch who has known his his son was gay and was basically didn't want anything to do with him um and so when he passes away then the the uh, by now beth has uh, enrolled at nyu as well so she and she had always looked up to frank because he had spoken to her to her clearly about looking beyond your hometown. You know, you can be whatever you want to be. Actually, part of that in- included uh, changing her name. Her name was Betty, but she wanted to go by Beth, and he thought that was great. So she really looked up to him and his way of, of looking at things beyond her small town. So uh, she's in New York as well, and they get the word that uh, her his dad had died, so they head back for the funeral. And Wally finds a, a funny way to tag along. So before <laughs> you know it, it becomes this, this interesting road trip. But that's not the main thing. It doesn't become a road movie. The road really becomes the bridge between that connects her coming of age to his coming out. And once they get home and he's got his partner with him and then the family has to come to terms with that. So you've seen some of this material before, but it's well presented. It's very, very, very well acted. And it ends on more of a a hopeful and healing note than you might expect. So it's it's not great, but it really is effectively done. And again, just one of the one of the most effective ensembles that you're going to find this year. And uh, this is an Amazon original. It's called Uncle Frank. Next up is a movie that touches on similar themes to Uncle Frank, but more comedically. This is a holiday romantic comedy that captures the range of emotions tied to wanting your family's acceptance, being true to yourself, and trying not to ruin Christmas. This is new on Hulu. And it's called Happiest Season. I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm finally going to meet everyone. There's something that we should talk about. Hi. Hi. I didn't tell my parents. I'm gay. So who do they think I am? This is Harper's orphan friend, Abby. Yes, of course. They're there. You're so brave. You don't need to be. I cannot believe I've got all my daughters under one roof. So her parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend for Christmas? Not exactly. They also think that I'm straight. Have they ever met a lesbian? I'm scared that if I tell them who I really am, I will lose them. Do you know how painful it's been to watch the person that I love hide me? I am not hiding you. I am hiding me. Everybody's story is different. Just because Harper isn't ready doesn't mean she doesn't love you. Yeah, this has a lot in common with Uncle Frank, including a fantastic ensemble. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, co-written and directed by Clea Duvall. Yeah. And a famous actor herself, although I've not seen her in anything for a while. But one of the things that you pointed out to me is that in when they go back to the... Uh, the bedrooms that haven't been remodeled since the kids moved out. There are all these posters of Josh Hartnett. And <laughs> that was so funny because, of course, Clay Duvall co-starred with Josh Hartnett in The Faculty, which we thought that was hysterical. Yeah, this is uh, a couple, uh, Abby, played by Kristen Stewart, and Harper, played by Mackenzie Davis. And they are going home to Harper's family Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it it's not until they're driving that Harper decides to say, oh, by the way, I am not out 
to my family, right. even though I told you that I was, <laughs> and you're just going to be my roommate. Well, yeah, that obviously throws a monkey in the wrench. It does. It really does. And you know what? Kristen Stewart, I mean, we say a lot of great things about Kristen Stewart and, and her different roles and the challenges. One of the things that I've really noticed in the last couple of years, she seems to be branching out wildly. She was mm-hmm. in the Underwater, which was basically Aliens, you know, an action movie for her. And this is a comedy, and she is funny. She does a good job with it. Her character is secondary to Harper. Harper is really the main driving force of it, but yeah. she does a good job being she funny. Does. She does. And it takes some turns as they get back to her town, Harper's hometown. You meet the family. And the family, talk about another great ensemble. The The, the parents are Mary Steenburgen and Victor Garber. And then the siblings, Allison Brie, uh, and and Mary Holland, who oh, steals she it. Does. She, she steals just it. steals it. She is hilarious, and her <laughs> ca- character is great. And she and she delivers. She she makes it great. And um, and then you've got uh, some other side, side Aubrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza, who plays Harper's ex girlfriend back at home. She uh, brings a little bit of a little bit of a complication. And then Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, yeah, is. Is Abby's friend from home who, right. who gets involved, and he is a scream. He is, and all you know, uh, we've heard so many times that we need to watch Schitt's Creek. I think every one of my sisters watches that show, and and I've always thought, oh, I bet it's great. Now I feel like I do need to see it. Yeah. He's hysterical. Yeah, it's a, it, everybody just rounds out their characters very well, and it it is funny, and it's warm, and it also has a a, a theme to it. You know, where she has to accept herself. She has to not feel that she has to earn her family. And I'm talking about Harper here who has to earn her family's love. It does deliver some laughs. And I think it's well-written by Clea Duvall. I really I do, do. Because you know what? You and I both had the same experience, is that, which I don't think you get often in these kind of romantic comedies where, you know, obviously, every, obviously everything has to fall apart at a certain point. And both of us were like, we don't think they can overcome this. Like, what, both of us were rooting for them to break up. <laughs> yeah. Because, and one of the things that I think was really effective about it is then the movie says to heterosexual couples, you don't know what it means to come out to your parents. You just don't. Right. So stop judging these people. And it was done without a finger wag. It was done very impressively, I think, and it made a great point. Yeah, and it's another reminder that the more we get films like this, it lends a, a, a step toward inclusiveness yeah. because we're talking about rom-coms. Okay, this brings up, as you just said, a very salient point. Does it with humanity? Does it with humor? Yeah. And that's it's perfectly in line with the kind of rom-com that we should be seeing. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so we enjoyed it. And it is on Hulu this season called Happiest Season. Let's go back to Netflix for a holiday tale. Kate Pierce, now a cynical teen, is unexpectedly reunited with Santa Claus when a mysterious troublemaker threatens to cancel Christmas forever. It's the Christmas Chronicles 2. What is that? That is the Christmas star. Created by the forest elves in 312 AD. The star protects us and keeps us hidden. And I'm here to steal it. What's happening? I'm going to make everybody forget that the North Pole and Santa Claus ever existed. Bell's nickel. This is bad. Without the star, the North Pole, the village, Christmas is doomed. Like for this year? Like forever. We can't let that happen. Christmas must endure. Let's do this. Sometimes I think you actually enjoy these little dangerous escapades. I, I, well, I, I... 
Well, as you said when you were watching this, one of the reasons that Kurt Russell keeps getting the Santa Claus role is because of all the money they're saving on hair and beard. <laughs> yeah. That's all just him. Yeah, and I've I've heard from more than a few women of a certain age, they like the hot Kurt Russell Santa Claus. Exactly. Oh, yeah. no, I'm going to give it to him. It's like how so many people remember the one Christmas special in their youth with a hot Mrs. Claus. Yeah. Well, now we finally get a hot Mr. Claus. <laughs> and uh, Kurt's real-life longtime partner, uh, Goldie Hawn is Mrs. Claus. And this picks up, as you heard in the synopsis there, with uh, Kate, who's now uh, a teenager, played by Darby Camp. And last time out, she and her brother were trying to get a picture of Santa Claus. Well, now she gets thrown into this big plan by uh, an ostracized elf named Bellsnickel, played by Julian Dennison from uh, Deadpool 2, who's trying to cancel Christmas and take over the North Pole. What this thing is, it's like taking a a Christmas theme park ride that just goes through different areas that throw different things at you. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, if you want to see, do you want to see Santa Claus sing a song with Darlene Love and play the saxophone? You're going to get it. There you go. Because why not? Right. Everything Christmas is thrown at the wall. I mean, it's so exaggerated. It's a ton of reaction shots that border on mugging, but it's it's just... It border? Yeah, I mean, it's it, <laughs> but it doesn't care because no. if you liked Christmas Chronicles 1, here's even more. In fact, this time it's taken over by co-writer and director Chris Columbus. Columbus. So if you know anything about him, all this fantastical stuff is is right in his wheels, wheelhouse, and they are leaving nothing, no string unpulled, and just going <laughs> for it all the way. So again, if, if you like Christmas Chronicles 1, you're going to love this, because it's, it's like bigger, louder, faster, more of everything <laughs> having to do with Christmas and this Santa and this Mrs. Claus, uh, so, so go for it. I didn't love it, but... Uh, <laughs> It is unabashed in its Christmas explosion. So, yeah, and Kurt Russell has some amazing hair. (laughs) (laughs) And that is The Christmas Chronicles 2 on Netflix. Let's go back to Hulu for a non-holiday tale. A homeschooled teenager begins to suspect her mother is keeping a dark secret from her. This is called Run. Am I a burden? What? do everything for me. It's not fair. I'm your mom. It's my job to take care of you when you need me. And you need me. I'm your mom. I am in no matter what she does with Sarah Paulson. Yeah, she is. As long is. as she's in it, I want to watch it. She's killing it these days. Yeah, she is. And she's great in this. This is the latest from co-writer and director Anish Chaganti, who did Searching right? a few years ago. Yeah. And we thought that was pretty impressive. Oh, very. Absolutely. It was, it was very high concept, but he kept it. He kept integrity in that concept, yeah, he too, did. I think, really through most of it. Mm-hmm. And it seemed at times like a little bit of a B-movie thing, but still very solid. Uh, and this one, boy, this, an, it, this one is enjoyable, and it has a, a solid lead performance from Sarah Paulson. And a secondary performance as her daughter, Kiara Allen, who's pretty much of a newcomer because she is in a wheelchair, the actress herself, and the filmmakers did a nationwide search for an actress who was paralyzed, mm-hmm. who did use, uh, really did use a wheelchair to take this role. And from what I read, they had people audition who faked it. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. That's awful. That but is. yes, I could see that. Yeah. So anyway, they picked uh, this girl, and she's she's perfectly fine and, and effective in her, I think it's her first role. But anyway, they do a great job. Two-thirds of this movie, the opening, it's just really set up well. Because this woman has been, this young woman has been homeschooled, as we said, from her mother, by her mother. And now she's getting ready to accept, you know, apply to colleges and head off to college soon. And then she just starts noticing things that don't quite add up around the house with her medication, with things that her mother is saying. And what is going on? What's, what's, what's really up with her mother and, and her history? And it really gets tense and it's really set up well. It's written well. It's edited very well mm-hmm. as it keeps this, this, this hook, gets this hook set in you. And I think the setup is really, really impressive. Then it starts to break down a little yeah. bit as, as they have to tie these ends together and deliver some resolutions. It makes some illogical leaps where you might go, wait a minute. But if you can just let that slide by, I think it's, it's really... It is enjoyable. The The payoff at the end is satisfying. And again, you're going to have to you're going to have to let some things slide by the end. But boy, that setup, it's, it's really well implemented and again, well acted, too. Uh, it's pretty much a two woman show, not exclusively. You know who shows up? Pat Healy. Oh, I love him. <laughs> I do. And he's so creepy and everything. Yeah, he's a great character actor. Not really creepy here, but uh, something creepy happens to him. And actually, it's already doing quite well because it's just its opening. It has set a record. It's on pace to become the most watched movie on Hulu in its opening weekend. Nice. So this is really striking a chord. So join the party. Uh, I think you might like it. Just check out its uh, run on Hulu. And we'll go back to Netflix for the story of a police unit from Mosul fighting to liberate the Iraqi city from thousands of ISIS militants. It's called Mosul. This is the latest from writer-director Matthew Michael Carnahan. And is this his first directing? It is. It is. He's written a lot of films. World War Z, that was his screenplay, The Kingdom, uh, Lions for Lambs. A state of play. He's written a lot of films. This is the first one that he has also directed. And uh, while I've been a fan of uh, several of the films he's written, whether or not they succeed has always really fallen to who the director is. Lions for Lambs, for example, was directed by Robert Redford and was just awful. Was just awful. And you could see where potentially the screenplay wasn't, but the direction was heavy-handed. So I was interested to see what Carnahan could do himself. Yeah, and it's interesting that he would choose this one because it's so heavy on action, but boy, dives right into this and is pretty effective. Absolutely. It's just, it really takes place in a single afternoon. The SWAT team overhears gunplay and comes to the rescue of two uniformed police officers who are about to go down at the hands of ISIS. Uh, And then uh, what happens is they send the one back to the other side of the city, back to the police, and they keep the other. The younger man named Kawa, they they ask him, they convince him to become part of the SWAT team. But then they never tell him anything else. Mm -hmm. So he just tags along because this is an infamous unit. And it is... uh, This um, is based on a true story. Yes. Uh, A magazine article, if I believe, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, an infamous unit that had fought ISIS for the entire four years that it uh, occupied Iraq. And so, you know, he joins the group and he's very happy to do so. But they just don't ever tell him what their mission is. They tell him to stop asking questions. They tell yeah. him to shut up and follow orders because it's so hard in Iraq to know who is and isn't 
allied with the enemy. What's, what's also interesting is that you brought up writer-director who is American wrote this feature and directs it that is... The language they're using is mainly, we assume it's Arabic. Right. There's there's no English spoken in this film, as there wouldn't be. There are, Every character in the entire film is Iraqi. It would have made no sense otherwise. But it is a fascinating idea that this writer-director chose to direct the first film in an, a language that he you know doesn't speak, certainly naturally. And he does a great job with it. And they introduce such fascinating information that we probably wouldn't know here in the United States yeah. about the conflict between the people who live in Iraq, are from Iraq, and are trying to take it back for themselves from another uh, another force that is seeking to exploit it. Obviously, we understand that ISIS is a terrible presence, but we've only ever seen it from a, a more global perspective, to, to, to be inside the fight to win back your own country was really fascinating and could easily have been heavy-handed, and it wasn't. Yeah, and this is uh, evidence that Carnahan should probably go on directing his own scripts. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah 100% on, agree. And that is called Mosul. You can find it on Netflix. And we'll wrap it up on Shudder. When five teen employees at the local movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious old film hidden in its basement, they unleash an alluring succubus who gives them a sex education written in blood. This is called Porno. Watch that movie. We unleashed a sex demon. Well, we said last week we were going to have porno this week. We did say that. And we do, but we don't. It's it's called porno, but this is not a porno film. It's more of of a horror comedy. It is. And it's, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's very sweet, regardless of how incredibly gory um, and merkin-filled it is. It has a Look really, it up. that's right. It has a really sweet sensibility about it. It's kind of a coming of age, you know. And it is set in this in this small town theater in 1992. We know it's 1992 because they're playing A League of Their Own and Encino Man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the guy who runs the theater leaves the kids to watch whatever they want to watch for their Friday night movie after closing. Um, And he is a very religious man, and all of the teens who work for him are are equally very Christian, which is to say a little bit sheltered, and uh, they have some potentially skewed ideas of what perversion means. So they find they have they follow this homeless guy, this you know, who broke in. They find they they follow him into this unknown basement and they bring back a canister, and they decide that they're going to watch whatever's in the canister because they don't want to watch Encino Man I don't or A League of Their Own. Well, that would be worth seeing, but this one is a lot more um, adventurous. Yes, but you know what's a little bit funny is that it, the, the movie remi- is hard not to be reminded of uh, the movie Demons, which has got a very similar construct, and the, and the, that they watch a film, and the film itself unleashes mm-hmm. demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that case, they're watching a very grisly horror film that they don't realize they're going to be watching. In this case... For these kids, it's worse because the film they watch is a porno. So immediately before anything else happens, all of them are like, 
we're going to hell, and also we've broken something inside of ourselves. Yeah. And I think it's a nice comment on the idea that what these teens are taught is perversion is not. Yeah. But that people who are teaching them what perversion is, they actually know, and they're you know it's it and it doesn't feel preachy in that way. It just feels kind of sweet. At the same time, it is incredibly gross and gory. One one uh, sequence especially is gross. Yes, uh. it's really and it, and it goes on for a long time, and yeah. you almost can't help but look away. Yeah, yeah. It does drag, though. It does. Even at a, a running time of just over an hour and a half, boy, it felt sometimes a little longer. It felt it felt easily yeah. two hours. I mean, yeah. it absolutely it does. Did. It's very, the storytelling is very unstructured. You wind up just sort of randomly in different parts of the theaters catching up with what people yeah. are doing. And so it, it doesn't, there's no good flow to it. Yeah, it doesn't seal the deal that well either. I mean, it just doesn't tell a, a completely solid story. I like the performances, especially uh, Heavy Metal Jeff. Yeah. The projectionist was hysterical. <laughs> Much, he's like kind of the the oldest guy in the group, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. he doesn't want to be a poser. No, he's funny, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it does drag a bit. But if you've got Shutter, there's some fun to be had in porno, and that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby where we love to rock out with our schlock out and the schlocketeer, a.k.a. Daniel Baldwin, in to give us the latest lowdown on all the uh, movers and shakers and all the reschedulings. What do you got this week? What are you hearing? First up, um, of course, I'll be happy about this. I don't know about the two of you, but uh, Disney announced a new Predator movie. It's coming from the director of uh, Clover, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, yeah. I think we're fine with that, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. We're fine with that. But didn't I see where he was... Uh, he was a little mad that word got out. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if the studio leaked it or if they made an official announcement or what, but it seems that the original plan would have been to put out some sort of adventure thriller called Skull, and then about halfway through the movie, surprise, it's a predator. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. That would have been a fun surprise, but, but man, it's, it'd be hard to keep that under wraps for so long. Well, I mean, not only that, you're looking at a massive franchise. They're going to want to get people who want to see Predator to buy tickets right away. They're going <laughs> to yeah. want to use Predator yeah. for their marketing. Exactly. Yeah, in hindsight, I'm, I'm sure he's upset that, uh, you know, his surprise is ruined, but it's probably the best thing for the movie in the long run yeah. because, you know, there's always a chance that if they actually manage to keep it quiet all the way up until release, that, People wouldn't show up for yeah. yeah. Now they can market it for what it is from the get-go. And the fun thing about this is that, you know, of course, Disney owns it now because they bought Fox. Well, a lot of people have been wondering, what's Disney going to do with all of their R-rated Fox properties? Are they just going to let them sit on a shelf for a while or maybe sell them off? Well, apparently not. I mean, if they're willing to make a new Predator movie right after the last one didn't do very well, right. then odds are pretty high that they're probably going to do something with Alien and Die Hard and everything else on down the line. Maybe they'll come up with a new division, Disney After Dark. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that, we've got the Michael Bay-produced pandemic thriller Songbird is arriving on VOD on December 11th. <laughs> that's, that's the noise she makes when you bring up Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, Lionsgate had delayed their thriller Fatal to an early 2021 theatrical release, but they have bumped it back up to December 18th for some reason. I don't know if they're going to pull a Universal and put it out in theaters in the middle of the month and then on VOD a few weeks later or what, but 
that's been moved up for some reason. Okay. And then the Russo brothers, their first uh, directorial effort after all of their Avengers movies, uh, a crime drama called Cherry that stars Tom Holland, that right. has been slated for uh, February 26th, theatrical, and then it'll kick over to Apple TV Plus on March 12th. So they're following along with everyone else mm-hmm. of late. And then Hulu picked up Joe Carnahan's sci-fi actioner Boss Level, and I guess they'll premiere it on the service sometime early next year, and that stars Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, Michelle Yeoh, and Naomi Watts. Ooh. An interesting lineup. It yeah. is. That's not a group of four people I think you often hear associated <laughs> with each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then my last one is, of course, last week we talked about uh, Warner Brothers' is got that crazy uh, release plan for Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the next one that might be hitting a similar path is Adam Wingard's Godzilla vs. Kong. Yes. Apparently what happened is Netflix cold offered them $200 million for the movie to buy it off of them. And then I guess what that has spurred is for Warner Brothers to finally make a decision on their own. Seems like they said, well, if Netflix wants to pay this much for it, maybe we should keep it and kick it over to HBO Max and benefit from, you know, subscribers and such themselves. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be too surprised if they pull a Wonder Woman and, you know, throw it up for a month and sure. then have it roll around theaters and everything. But this this one's not as surprising as a Wonder Woman because, um, you know, the 2014 Godzilla movie and Kong Skull Island were both hits. But the Godzilla movie that came out last year really underperformed. Yep. It, yeah, it cost about $40 million more than the 2014 movie, and it made $150 million less worldwide. Ooh. But basically, if Godzilla vs. Kong hadn't been in the can last year when that came out, I don't even know if it would have been made. So them using it as some sort of way to goose um, more subscriptions and then maybe catch a little bit on the theatrical end isn't really that shocking. Mm-hmm. We both liked Skull Island a lot. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we maybe because of low expectations, but we thought it was a hoot. Yeah. yeah, I love that one too. All right, we will see Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at the Schlocketeer. Appreciate it. Happy holidays. All right, happy holidays to you too. And looking ahead to next week, boy, we've got a full slate starting with Godmothered. Sound of Metal, love that one. Mm, Half Brothers. Dear Santa. Black Bear, which we've already seen. That That's was right. that was good. Luxor. Girl with no mouth. Woo-hoo. Minor premise. 18 to party. Party. Werewolf. Uh, King of Knives. Anything for Jack. All my life. And what lies below. We're going to get to all those? I don't know. (laughs) We're going to give it a try. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about uh, anything this week, the holiday movies or the animated or whatever. Let us know. Easiest way to keep the conversation going is finding us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website with all of our written reviews and our other podcast, all about just horror movies called Fright Club. Uh, a new one just dropping, by the way. You can find that all on the main website, which is madwolf.com. Always appreciate you stopping by. If you would do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Thank you so much. And until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>